want to have a seat? Welcome, uh, everybody. You have a seat. Got a, uh, glad everybody is here. Hope you enjoyed the service today. Welcome to Grace Church. I'm Brian, the pastor. And uh, if you want to, kids, you can go to Kids Church. Have a good time back there in Kids Church this morning. Uh, if you, everybody else, you want to turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And if you're new to the Bible, when we say Acts, we don't mean A-X-E, we mean A-C-T-S. Acts like in a play. Acts chapter 9, and um, it's really titled, The Actions of the Disciples After Jesus Went to Be in Heaven. What they did and what they continued. And um, Acts chapter 9, what we want to talk about today, just for a few moments, is when helping is really hurting. When helping is really hurting. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 9. Once you're there, if you would stand as we begin to read God's Word together. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 9. The Bible says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, which was the first time we hear, hear about Christianity, that's what it was called, the way, men or women, he might bring them chained in prison to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we give this service to you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would have your way in this place. We give you freedom and control in this place. May you open up our hearts and minds, draw us nearer to you in your presence, that this attitude and mode of worship would just continue throughout this day. Lord, let us be shaped and molded in your word. May you anoint these lips of clay and flesh, that they would be your words and not mine. We love you and thank you, and we're nothing without you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. I want to talk for a few moments when helping is really hurting. When helping is really hurting. And if you're uh, familiar with the Bible, this passage is probably familiar to you. If, if you're not, that's okay. We'll try to briefly uh, summarize and catch up to speed. What's going on is this guy, Saul, the, and the person that writes this account was uh, an eyewitness. His name was Luke. He's also the guy that wrote the book of Luke or the gospel of Luke. And Luke was an eyewitness account of these things. Luke is going on and he uh, talks about that he's seeing these Saul, this guy Saul, is breathing murderous threats. In other words, Saul is the arch enemy of Christianity. When Christianity first starts, its number one enemy is a guy named Saul. So Saul is going around trying to arrest people. He's getting warrants for their arrest. He bursts into their home, um, you know, and does a search and seizure. He takes them. He throws them in prison. And so he gets authority from the religious leaders in Jerusalem to go to Damascus in Syria and to arrest any Christians that might be there. Because you understand 
understand Saul, we today look at him at this point in his life and say, oh, what a, what a horrible guy. But in reality, Saul, and that's what I want to look at today, is understanding the first few verses here from Saul's perspective. Now, this guy Saul later would become to be known as Paul. Been right two-thirds of the New Testament, great theologian and a mentor and a missionary evangelist, pastor, all these great things. But here, Saul, understanding things through his eyes, through his lenses. Sometimes as, as Christians, we kind of look back at him and say, boy, that was a bad guy and he did bad things. But from Saul's perspective today, before he became the famous Paul that, that people know about, Saul, at this moment in his life, understanding his background, he was raised in Judaism. He was raised to um, understand the law or the Torah, the Bible. He had better teaching and understanding of Scripture than anyone else. He was sitting under the most uh, well-known scholar named Gamaliel at that time. So Saul is ingrained in Judaism. He is a rising star in Judaism. He's, he's becoming very well known, possibly one day will be the leader of the religious court there, which is called the Sanhedrin. So Saul is on his way up. He's educated more than anyone else. He's, he's a rising star. Saul views Christianity in the early stages not as a new move of God or not as Jesus as God's son who died on the cross for our forgiveness of sins. No, Saul views Jesus and Christianity as heretics. Saul views Jesus as a false prophet. Saul views Jesus as a false teacher, as a liar of God's word, a, a uh, you know, we would call today a false prophet and so on, a leader of a cult really is what he views him as. And that's what he views Christianity when it starts out. It's a cult religion. It has nothing to do with truly honoring God. It's all about being a cult uh, to try to uh, be a threat or circumvent Judaism. This is how Saul thinks. So understandably so, that when Saul understands about uh, Judaism and Christianity, that Christianity is a bad thing. Christianity is not good. Christianity is evil. Christianity is a threat. And therefore, it is dishonoring God, Christianity is. Christianity is against God. Therefore, if I can stop Christianity, if I can stop these little followers of Jesus, stop them in their tracks, then therefore I am helping God out. Saul, when we read today that in verse chapter one or chapter nine, verse one, but Saul still breathing murderous threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, in his mind, he's doing God a favor. Saul is helping God out. Saul is saying, God, you need someone to rise up and snuff this thing out right in its tracks. God, you need someone to be a champion for your true word. God, you need someone to stand up and make a difference. Someone to stand up and say, I'm not going to take it anymore. Christianity is, is a lie. It's false. God, you need someone to help you out. I'm the guy. Send me. I've got more education. I've got more training. I can do it. I've got the tenacity. I've got the wit. I've got the skill. God, use me to stop this thing out and help you. God, that's all I want to do is be a helper to you, be a blessing to you. That's what Saul thinks. We uh, today in Christianity look back at his, his life at this moment and say, boy, what a bad guy. And he was there when he killed the first follower of Jesus named Stephen. Saul was there approving of that. Boy, what a bad guy. Not in Saul's mind. I'm helping God out. God needs me. He needs someone to stand up and be the truth. Someone to stand up against the false lies, uh, uh, the threat against Judaism, this cult of Christianity, and it's me. Understand this today, that when you think you're helping God, you're really only hurting yourself. 
Saul didn't quite get that at this point in his life. Saul didn't understand because he thought, I'm helping God out by stopping Christianity dead in its tracks. I'm helping God. But really what he was doing is only hurting himself. What he was doing is really stopping God's blessing on his life. Saul wanted God's blessing just as much as you or I do, but he was going about it the wrong way. Instead of saying, God, I'm here to help you. God, here it is. Here's a need. I'm not even going to ask you if this is your will or not. I'm just going to jump in and do it. God, I'm just going to step in and take care of business. When you do that, what you're really doing is only hurting yourself. Because the thing is, God says, no, I want to lead your life. I want to guide your life. I want to show you my path for your life. And I can't do that because as we've been talking about on Sunday mornings, God will never override your free will. In other words, we have a choice that we honor God every day or we live for ourselves every day. That's a choice that you and I make, all human beings make. And the more that you say, I'm going to do things my way, even with good intentions, you know what they say about the road of good intentions, but even with good intentions, what you're doing is God saying, yeah, but I want to lead you this way. Yeah, but I want to help you go this way. It may not be the way that you think, but it's my perfect plan and will for your life. What you're doing when that happens is you're blocking God. You're taking the steering wheel from his hands into your hands. You're kicking God out of the driver's seat of your life, and you're placing yourself there. When you think you're helping God, you're really only hurting yourself. I've experienced this in my life. I think a lot of us have. When you think, God, you need someone to do this, or, or God, I'm going to step up and take charge of this. God, I'm going to step in and make a difference here or there. And without praying about it, without waiting on God and fasting and seeking his will and just being patient, whenever you, you jump the gun, so to speak, and you just jump in because something's got to be done, really, you're hurting yourself. We can't say that enough. And not only, unfortunately, is Saul hurting himself, but in the wake of that, just like a boat going through water, in the wake of that, he is murdering dozens of Christians, maybe hundreds, we don't know. He is splitting up families, arresting moms and dads and kids. He's destroying lives. It's destroying communities. Understand the reality that when you think you're helping God, you're only hurting yourself, but not just you, everyone around you is affected in that wake. Everyone around you is touched by that in a negative way. Saul thinks, I'm helping God. God needs someone to step in and stop Christianity because it's perverted, it's wrong. And in reality, the truth is, he's not only hurting himself, he's hurting Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus says, isn't it? Look, in verse 4. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. When you think you're helping Jesus or God, you're really hurting yourself, those around you, and ultimately him. Well, well wait a minute, bro. I just, I've got good intentions. I'm just trying to help God. He needs somebody and nobody else is stepping up, so I might as well. That's what Saul was thinking. That's a Saul mindset. That's a Saul spirit. That's a Saul mentality that God needs somebody, so I'll just do it. Nobody else is stepping up. I'll do it. I'll step, get in charge. I'll take over the driver's seat. And really, when you do that, it's not only hurting you, it's hurting those around you, and it's ultimately hurting Jesus. It's ultimately hurting him. When you try to take charge of your life or take charge of a situation or take charge of, of a circumstance, instead of waiting on him, praying about it and seeking God, you're hurting yourself, others, and ultimately him. Well, how could I be hurting God? 
Because again, God loves you so radically much. God is so head over heels crazy about you, in love with you. He created you before your mom and dad even met, okay? Before you were even, as my dad would say, a twinkle in their eye, right? God formed you. God created you. He knew everything about you. He has a perfect plan for your life, and he cannot execute that plan because you've got both hands on the steering wheel. Saul, I do want to do great things in your life, and I will as soon as you let go. Saul, I do want to bless you, but I can't do it because you think you're helping me, but really, Saul, you're hurting me. How am I hurting you? Because you want to be in control of your life instead of me. You know what the Bible says? Sometimes we don't talk about very often, but the Bible says it cover to cover. It's really true. God is a jealous God. He is. We like to talk about God's love and grace and mercy, but the reality is, yes, God is all those things, but he is a jealous God. He wants to share that power and, and authority and control with no one, not even you. It's either all of him in control of your life or nothing. God can't share his throne. He can't share the steering wheel of your life. What's interesting as well is, again, what we could tell Saul in this passage in the first few verses here, Saul, God doesn't need your help, but he does need your obedience. God does not need our help but he does need our obedience. The Bible says in the Old Testament that to obey God is better than worship. It says it's better than sacrifice, and that's the same concept, worship. God would much rather you obey him every step, every dotting every I, crossing every T, than giving him all the worship and praying in tongues and reading the Bible. and All All those things are fine, but God would rather have your obedience every inch, every step, every moment, every day. God doesn't need your help. I wish we could rewind the tape in Saul's life and save him a lot of heartache and save a lot of Christians' heartache and a lot of destruction of churches and and families and so on. Stop the persecution of Jesus. If we could rewind the tape and say, Saul, here's the reality, here's the truth. You think you're helping, but you're really only hurting. And not only that, God doesn't need your help. In fact, how do we know this? Because a few verses later from this, uh, the, the disciples are going to be arrested. And as they're arrested, um, Gamaliel, Saul's mentor, tells these people, the, the Jewish leaders, he says, look, if this new movement is really from God, you're not going to be able to stop it. You can't even touch it. If it's not from God, it'll snuff itself out. Saul didn't understand that. In other words, Gamaliel is saying, God doesn't need your help. So many times, and I'm guilty of this maybe more than anybody, but so many times in life, we can sense God beginning to move, God beginning to stir something, God beginning to start something. And what we do, we jump in immediately, take over the controls. Now I'll do it, God. And and sometimes we do it with good intentions, with excitement. Sometimes we do it out of ignorance. Sometimes we do it out of fear. All these things combine. But we jump in and we have to understand what we're trying to help God. God doesn't need our help. God doesn't need our help. He needs our obedience. God would rather you obey him. We're teaching our son, as, as, as some of you know, or maybe you've heard, he's, um, he's, he's two and a half, and we're, we're teaching him wrong from right, and we're, when he gets wrong, we, we, we punish him and, and so on, and we're teaching him how to listen, and we're teaching him how to obey. So at times, when he doesn't do what we tell him to do, pick up your toys before bed, we'll say, son, 
obey. And he'll repeat that back, obey. And so it was a, you need to obey, obey. And so he got the word down, but he doesn't always have the action down. At the age of two and a half, I am trying to teach my son to obey his father. There are some of us that are in our 50s, 60s, 70s, and 20s, and 30s that God, our heavenly father, is still trying to teach us that word, obey, obey, obey. Oh God, I'll worship you. Oh God, I'll love you. Oh God, I'll serve you. God, I'm trying to help you out. I've got good intentions. God's saying, obey, obey, obey. I don't need your help. I'll take care of it. If I needed your help, I'm really not God, am I? No, I don't need your help. I need you to obey. Unfortunately, Saul didn't understand that. But here's the great thing about this passage that, that should be encouraging for all of us. When you think you're helping, like Saul, when you think you're helping God, you're really hurting yourself, others, and ultimately Christ. And understand, God doesn't need your help. He needs your obedience. To obey is better than worship. And third, God doesn't want you to do something for him. He wants to do something for you. This is what's really cool about this passage. Verse 6, Jesus is still talking to Saul, and he says, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. And then verse 6, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling were speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, although his eyes were open. He saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And there for three days, without sight, he neither ate nor drank. And then if you would skip down to uh, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, this is a guy named Ananias. Uh, while this is happening to Saul, there's a guy named Ananias that God is speaking to in a vision at the exact same time. And this is what he says in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, talking about Saul, look, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Here's the really cool thing about God, the amazing thing about God's love and God's grace. God doesn't want you to do something for him. He wants to do something for you. Think about this passage. This all happened literally at the exact same time. Saul has arrest warrants for Christians. Why? He's trying to help God out. God needs help. He needs somebody on earth to take care of business. It might as well be me. God needs help. So Saul is the guy. He volunteers, and, and uh, Saul is on his way trying to help God, but really he's hurting him, and God doesn't need his help. He needs his obedience. But look how this passage ends. Instead of God saying, Saul, you're right. I need help. I mean, I need a lot of help. I, there's just nobody out there that'll, that'll help me. I want to do great things, but nobody wants to volunteer. I need help. No. He says, Saul, I don't need your help. In fact, it's the opposite. I want to do something great in your life. I want to do something big in your life. And unfortunately for him, it included a lot of suffering, but he was able to preach before kings and Israel and the people of Israel and the Gentiles. It says again, he is my chosen instrument to carry my name. God wants to use you. God has, looking on you, we talked about that last week, God's favor and blessing in our lives. You are God's chosen instrument. Well, I haven't seen a vision from God or a flash from heaven or anything like that. I understand that, and I haven't either. And if that happens, that's awesome. But understand, God wants to use you. God has a purpose and plan for your life. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't want you to do stuff 
for him. No, it's the opposite. He wants to do stuff for you. Well, what kind of stuff? Well, back in the beginning of Acts, we have in chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit. God wants to fill you with the power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God wants to see you produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love and joy and patience and gentleness and peace and kindness and, and on and on and on. And see the fruit of the Spirit. God wants to bless you with the gifts of the Spirit. He wants to do stuff for you, not you do stuff for him. Because the reality is every time you try to do something for God, it hurts you, it hurts others, it hurts him. And God doesn't need your help. He wants you to obey. And again, ultimately, he doesn't want you to do stuff for him. He wants to do stuff for you in your life. I think so many Christians in our zeal and our love for God, and I'm, I'm just as guilty maybe more than anybody, but we come to God and we say, Father, you, you've saved me. You've forgiven me of sins. And oh God, you're so great. Oh God, you're so wonderful. I'll do anything for you. I'll go to Africa. I'll do all these great things. I'll sell my house. All that is well and good. Don't get me wrong. But you know what God is saying? That's fine. I, I don't need you to do stuff for me because I did everything for you on the cross. I did all I could for you. And now, not only that, I want to do more in your life. We can't do enough for God. I'm that way. Out of my love for God, I was telling somebody that uh, several months ago, uh, out of my zeal for God, I can relate to Saul a little bit that, man, God, I'm ready to go. God, I'm ready to charge the gates of hell with a water pistol. God, I'll take it on. Let's go. I'm ready to go. I just love you. I, it's not because of me. I just want to bless you. I just want to do big, great things for you. And in reality, I think God is saying, just calm down, obey me in the meantime. And it's not you doing stuff for me. It's the other way around, Brian. I want to do stuff in your life. I want to do great things on you. You are my chosen instrument. And we don't mean that arrogantly. No, listen, when you're a mom, you're a chosen instrument for those kids. When you're a dad, you're a chosen instrument for those kids. When you're a husband, you're a chosen instrument for your wife. When you're a wife, you're a chosen instrument for your husband. And on and on and on. If you're a boss, you are a chosen instrument for your employees. If you're an employee, you're a chosen instrument for your boss. And when you begin to view our life that we are God's individual chosen instruments for his name, not for the name of Grace Community or your name, but for his name, and that we understand that I can't help God. He doesn't need my help. It's the opposite. He wants to do big and great things through my life. Your life will begin to radically change. You'll begin to see things through this different prism, and that's exactly what happens in, in Saul's life. He, stay, he goes to this guy, Ananias's house, and as he's there, he's, he's uh, not eating, he's not drinking, and he's, he's praying. He's kind of bewildered. He's wondering what's going on and, and so on. And after a while, the Bible says they prayed for him and like fish scales fail off of his eyes, which would be really cool to see and really creepy at the same time, like National Geographic stuff. But fish scales fall from his eyes, and he begins to see quite literally spiritually for the first time. I love that that's what the passage says there. It says, so Saul rose from the ground. Although his eyes, look, were open, he saw nothing. When you try to help God, you, your eyes might be wide open, but spiritually, you're not seeing anything. Sometimes we wonder why we don't hear from God when we pray. Well, my eyes are open. I'm doing all the right things. Yeah, but you're trying to help instead of wait. Yeah, your eyes in your mind might be open, but spiritually, they're closed. You're not seeing anything. It's only when you obey. It's only when you understand that you're not helping, you're hurting. So they led him by the hand, and they led him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight. He neither ate nor drank. Probably shell-shocked of everything that had happened, absorbing all these incredible things. And it's amazing because at the, 
at the end of these, of these few days, people pray for him, the scales fall off. Saul, at some point, we don't know exactly when, but his name was changed from Saul to Paul. And this guy, Paul, goes on to write two-thirds of the New Testament, the greatest theologian that the world has ever seen, uh, mentored dozens of pastors, started uh, dozens of churches that are still there today, by the way, an amazing, amazing guy. All because when he thought he was helping, he was really hurting. And when he understood that God doesn't want to do something, he, he, God doesn't want to do something for him, he wants to do something for you. Changed his life. Our goal and our prayer is that we understand this. We take this to heart, that it shapes us and it molds us. You know, the other thing, and in a few weeks, we're going to preach about this. We're going to talk about it on a Sunday morning, and I'm really excited about it. You want to be here in a couple weeks because we're going to talk about the only other guy in the Bible named Saul is King Saul in the Old Testament. And both of these men, I I really want to preach this whole sermon, but I'm not going to give you two for the price of one, okay? But I'd love to do that. But Saul in the Old Testament, he starts off prophesying. He starts off on fire for God. He starts off worshiping God and honoring him and doing great big things for God. The first king of God's people, Israel. Great things. But he has a God encounter that God gets in his face. And instead of responding to that positively, he responds negatively and he disobeys God. And that's it. He's done. What started off promising ends in a crash and burn. This Saul, it's the opposite. This Saul starts off breathing murderous threats against Christ, persecuting Jesus himself. But he has a God encounter and a God moment that leaves him so radically changed that he gets face to face with God and it changes his life. And he goes from being a curse to Christianity to one of the greatest blessings Christianity has ever seen. Don't make the mistake, Christian of thinking that you're helping God because in reality you're really hurting. You're hurting him, you're hurting yourself, you're hurting others. And God doesn't need your help, he needs obedience. God, understand, doesn't want, to do, doesn't want you to do something for him. He wants to do something for you. So instead of coming to God and saying, God, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Say, God, and we don't mean this to be arrogant or selfish, but God, what do you want to do in my life? What do you want to do in my life? And that's ultimately what happens with Saul. Jesus gets his attention in such a massive way, and that's what he says. I want to do great things in your life. Saul, instead of thinking you're helping and you're hurting, no, it's the opposite. I want to do great things in you. And here's what these great things are. Preaching to kings and queens. Telling the world about Jesus. Starting dozens of churches. Amazing things. Well, our own Paul is going to come back and begin to lead us in worship. My prayer and our goal this morning is that we examine our lives, whatever situation that you're in, you stop, you pause. Because I hope and I pray as your pastor, you don't have to have this kind of a God experience where when you think you're helping God, there's a flash of lightning and there's Jesus and he's, why are you persecuting me? I hope that never happens to you. And we should learn from Saul's perspective. The Bible says in Romans, a letter that this guy Paul wrote, everything that was written down talking about the Bible was written for our instruction. When we begin to understand he just wasn't persecuting Christians, why was he doing that? He thought he was helping. The more you try to help, the worse you're going to make it. 
The more you try to help the situation with whatever it is, with, with your kids or your marriage or your whatever, your job, your home, whatever that situation is, the more you try to fix it, the more you try to help, the worse you're going to make it. I've experienced that in my life. You know what God would rather you do instead of being hands-on? No. Only God can be hands-on in your situation. What God would rather you do is say, come to me, give it to me, lay it at my feet, obey me, and I want to do great things in you. I want to do awesome things in you. But he can't do that until we seek him and lay it at his feet. So as we pray in a few moments, if that's you, you want to come and, and whatever it is you think you're helping that you need prayer about, come and lay it at his feet as we pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your truth and for your word. Father, though this may be short, it's to the point. And Lord, we pray that we would never repeat the mistake that we see so clearly with Saul. Lord, help us to never go about, even with good intentions and passion and zeal, go about doing things without obeying you first, without diligently and faithfully seeking you through prayer and fasting and waiting on you. Not being so caught up in our own passions and our own desires and our own will like Paul, but be patient and wait on you. Lord, let us understand that you don't need our help. And when we think we're helping, we're really hurting. But it's the opposite, Lord. You don't want us to help you. You want to not just help us, but bless us and use us to do things we could never imagine. Lord, we love you and we thank you. If that's you today and you want to come and pray, I'd love to, to pray with you. Maybe uh, you want to grab someone next to you, pray right where you're at. But as we continue just to worship and just spend time in God's presence today, examine our hearts. Whatever that situation is in your life, God, am I going about this?